is Esther, and today we're going to be talking about the mysterious disappearance of Agatha Christie and a controversy that we didn't even know was a thing. Keep listening to find out what the hell happened. Hi, welcome to What the Hell Happened. Today, I am here with the joyous Mr. Lockwood. It's true. I am joyous. You are joyous. Thanks for having me. Well, yeah. <laughs> Good to be here. I mean. It's been a while for I never, me. I never invite you. You just kind of. In real time, in the real lifetime, it's been a while. You just kind of show up. Yeah. Yeah. I just put up with you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on walkabout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, today we're doing our Christmas special. Yay! Christmas! Chris- yeah, your favorite. <laughs> I like Christmas. Yeah. It's grown on me over the years. Yeah. You mm-hmm. are the unfortunate recipient of a day after Christmas birthday. I wouldn't call it so unfortunate. I mean, I'm here. Yeah, but I like having my birthday separate from Christmas. You know, everyone who doesn't have a birthday around Christmas, they just have no clue. It's just, you're used to it. It's not a big deal. It Doesn't it ever feel like, though, you just get a pile of presents for Christmas and then they just pick one and put it in birthday paper for the next day? (laughs) Every time. So instead of getting two different small little gifts for Christmas and birthday, I would negotiate for one big expensive present (laughs) that so therefore i actually ended up getting much better things once a year than everyone else got twice a year you were like a 10 year old present hostage negotiator (laughs) so i got really cool stuff that was very very expensive because i I, you know it's for my birthday and christmas come on (laughs) that is true you lump them together once a year you were a smart kid so i i added a little extra i could get a bigger you know something a bigger gift far like twice as big or sometimes even more yeah than what a standard person would get for christmas <laughs> or a birthday you're a sneaky child yeah yes so it worked to my advantage i yeah. think yeah yeah i mean because let's be honest that's what i do for your birthday i buy you christmas presents and pick one and wrap it <laughs> in birthday paper. yeah you, you do the old traditional I way do. of screwing I do. I'm like, here you go. <laughs> you don't fall for my negotiation tactics. Oh, and by the way, this goes with the presents that you got yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you know that part you thought you were missing from the present yesterday? Oh, no, you're getting it today. <laughs> That's a real asshole move, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> you're like cheap. <laughs> you get your gift on Christmas and you're like, oh, this is only like half of what I need to make it work. <laughs> You've gone the other way from what I would negotiate. It's pretty you probably evil. started out that way, so then I'm happy just meeting you in the middle. Right. I just would never want. I, I enjoy having a whole month for my birthday, <laughs> so I I don't want to have to share my birthday with baby Jesus. Now, I'm not into any of that birthday month stuff. Or whatever. I know you're not. Oh, but I am. I know you are. <laughs> I need a whole month of just for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good i basically hold you hostage i tolerate my it. birthday month <laughs> you died i sanction it, it. Mm-hmm. i sanction that behavior yeah mm-hmm. yeah i guess if you weren't okay with it you wouldn't allow it to exist 
I wouldn't allow it. Yeah. I have that ability to disallow things. Well, not really. But <laughs> <laughs> you could try. Just like you do, right? Right. Like you can just stop me from doing things. Yeah, no. You're like two foot taller than me. You can walk right through me. <laughs> nope, I'm doing it. <laughs> you and you can't, don't listen. And you so can't physically stop either me. Either way. No, listen? No. Oh, I listen. You do what you want. I do what I want. I do do what I want. Eric Cartman. Yeah. I'm not like, I'm not that bad. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the one aspect that you have from Eric Cartman, which is probably one of the better ones to take. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's so much that I do what I want. I just don't, you know, I don't don't let people keep me down from doing things that I would like to do. (laughs) (laughs) Point taken. Yeah. Don't try and stop me. I stand corrected. Don't try and stop me. Oh, wait. I do do what I want. <laughs> oh. oh, we may have to leave that. <laughs> That's the Christmas text notification. I hope you can hear that on here because that was funny. Perfectly timed. <laughs> so, yes, as my phone is telling me, I do have a couple of uh, quick announcements to make. I just wanted to let everybody know about a new solo podcast that I've been working on. Um, it is called Disappearance Dive Bar, and it focuses on people that specifically go missing from bars, clubs, or parties. It is not a comedy like this one. So uh, if you go over there and attempt to listen to that one expecting it to be funny, I'm sorry, it's not. Uh, it's a little more on the serious side. I am also collecting stories from listeners about potentially scary encounters during a night out or a time with your friends that you had at a party that could have ended worse than it did. If you have any story like that or have had anything like that happen, I would love to hear it. You can email that if you'd like to disappearancediveBar at gmail.com. And uh, if I get enough of them, I will read them on the show. The first episode of Disappearance Dive Bar will be dropping on January 3rd. So check that out. I would appreciate it very, very much. Let me know if you like it or if you have a story you'd like covered. That'd be awesome. Our next announcement is that we will be taking the week between Christmas and New Year's off. So that means the next show that will drop for What the Hell Happened will be on January 3rd, 2022. We wish you all happy holidays, and we are very excited about some of the weird stories we have planned for 2022. And Mr. Lockwood, I believe you have a correction. I have a, a correction make. about the the birthday paradox. Believe it was in the Philip Nolan yeah, episode. Yeah, that was the first. Yeah, the first. Oh, was it? Okay. Well, then it's not that old. I haven't let it fly for that long. But the, the birthday paradox is that. It only takes it takes 23 people, and the odds that any two of them will have the exact same birthday, day, and month of a year. That's what you already said in the other one. It's 50%. What I said is that it was 100%, but it's 50%. Oh, okay. But as you add people, it rapidly approaches 100%. So it's like 75% is 30 people in a room. You got three out of four chance that two of them will have the same birthday, and... As you go up from there, it approaches 100% pretty quickly. So the point I made using the birthday paradox is still valid, but... You were wrong. It's a little less... <laughs> Just say it. It's a little less stringent. Say you were but wrong. But it's still, in the long run, pretty stringent. Yeah. So... So you were only partially half. Wrong. I was only half wrong. Damn it. 
I'm never going to win this. <laughs> I get like one a year <laughs> where I, I like have to fact check you and you're wrong. Only one, which is pretty good. Really. I was right in the right direction. I was wrong exactly Yeah. in the, the exact details, which. Wow. Yeah. We, we appreciate that you fessed up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You want to hear a story? I do. I've been dying to hear a story. All right. Yeah, it's been a minute. My huh? life's been empty without them. Oh, you're so nice. It's been full of engineering and math and yeah, very detailed things that I'm tired of. So you want me to break, make your brain hurt in a different kind of yeah, way? Yeah, I want to. I want to. I want it to be softened <laughs> oh, okay. with some of this these stories. Okay. Well, we can definitely do that. So <laughs> today we are going to be talking about a few holiday literary mysteries. What is a literary mystery? <laughs> Who wrote what? When? Uh, or if that person wrote it? Oh. Or what if, you, you know? I mean, you're just going to have to listen to find out. Does this involve Shakespeare? Because that would no. be the, the best literary mystery I could think of. No. No. Then you should set your expectations lower because that's not what I... Oh, good. That's, that's not what happens. <laughs> All right. You ready? I like, I like gutter literary mysteries oh, even better. Oh, no, this, not, is a, oh okay. this is a pretty interesting one. Yeah. All right, Midbrow. Oh, my God. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Our first story is The Mysterious Disappearance of Agatha Christie. And I got a picture of Agatha up here. I don't, have you ever actually seen a picture of Agatha Christie? No, not that I remember. She's pretty good looking. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, She's got to be in her like early 20s in this picture. But yeah, she's she's a cutie. So I, I actually had never seen a picture of her younger. I'd only ever seen, like, old lady pictures of her. So it was kind of fun to dig up a picture of her in her younger days. It's also funny that she's wearing a nerd sweater. Yeah, she is. And she's got that skirt that goes, like, the yeah. right under the boob skirt. Yeah, and a, basically a, a dress shirt, like a suit, like you'd wear if you were wearing a suit. Does she have a tie on? Yeah. Oh, she does. Yeah. Oh, nice. I like it. And a floppy brimmed hat. I think she looks like an author. Yeah, she does. <laughs> I think she looks like she might write crime novels. Yeah, she's like I said, she's got the nerd sweater on. Yeah. And now that you sit at the computer, you know that you need the sweater. You do need the sweater. Because you get cold. Mm-hmm. Or the typewriter in her When you case. sit still. But it would be the same thing. Right. My feet get cold, and I need, a, like, mm-hmm. I, I actually have a heated blanket thrown over my chair yeah. just to, you know, I can turn it on and warm myself up because I'm a Yeah, you got to crank the heat up. Yes, you do get cold just sitting in front of the computer all day. Yep, just thinking. Yeah, maybe. I mean, good job. You solved the case of why she's got a sweater on. (laughs) Good job. You're on a roll. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) All right. So most of us have at least heard the name Agatha Christie. And just in case you have only heard her name, today I'm going to give you a little quick history on her. And Mr. Lockwood, I know you like a good history on someone. Mm-hmm. I love history. It's all about History's the backstory. Neato. Agatha Mary Clarissa Miller, known to the world as Agatha Christie, was born on September 15th, 1890, in Torquay, Devon, England. Her family was upper middle class and had a fair amount of wealth. Agatha was mostly homeschooled. Although trying for years to get one of her fictional stories published, she was unsuccessful and had six rejections under her belt. 
Sorry. It's just she matches so much even a modern like writer. Weirdo comes from a reasonably, you know, fine family that allows them time to develop their to do what solitary, want. you know, very mentally challenging skill set. Yeah. That takes a lot of time to get re- to develop, you know, and then there she is. She's a writer. I bet she was a real dork. With a bunch of rejections. Homeschooled, you know, we always think like, oh, homeschooled people are weirdos. <laughs> like, even though most of the homeschooled oh, people I've ever met, I really mo- like a lot. And they're way, and they're way smarter. They're way more intelligent. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, she she definitely tried for years to get her her you know her stories published, but and that's how it works for everyone whoever yeah. tries to make anything. Right. You do not write one story and go, "Oh, hey, look, I'm this famous. is the best writer in the world." It's right. like you got to write a lot, especially to become a household name. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get good at it. You have to get it in front of people, which making more gets you that chance of it going up right and just because you get one doesn't necessarily mean that's gonna happen like you gotta get a couple yeah couple through the door you gotta get your foot in there and it's like well do you want success or do you want to be a writer right because a person that wanted to be a writer they want to write which means that by the end of their life they should have written at least dozens if not hundreds of books because they're a writer that's what they like to do right so if you're a writer Get writing. Don't worry about people liking it or not. Just get writing. All right. Get busy writing or get busy dying. Or failing. <laughs> <laughs> or get busy finding a new hobby. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in 1914, she married a man named Archibald Christie, who went by Archie for short. Hmm. Uh, he was a former World War I pilot. They lived together in Berkshire, UK, and had one child together, a daughter. Do you have a picture of Archibald? I do. Oh, yeah. So there's Agatha and Archie together. He is very dapper, but he has terrible posture and enormous hands. He has really big hands. <laughs> yeah, his hands look enormous. Actually, his one hand looks way bigger than the other. In World War One, all the planes were actuated with like cables and, and levers. Mm-hmm. So you had to have big hands to hold on to that hmm. that control. I'm just making that up. It's not true. <laughs> I totally believed you, too. <laughs> You're such a dick. <laughs> but you would have to be strong and tough. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's probably a badass. He really doesn't look he like He probably it. is, but he's got a will of steel to be a World War One pilot. Well, yeah, but he, this guy doesn't necessarily look like it. I mean, he was flying like lawn chairs with machine guns on them. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. Against other people with the same thing. Right. It's right. pretty crazy. Thank God he has those big hands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're still an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Agatha's luck changed in 1920 when at the age of 30, the mysterious affair at Styles got picked up by a publisher and became her first published work. In 1928, Agatha and Archibald divorced. (laughs) She went on to serve at the hospital dispensary during both World War I and World War II. During this time, she gathered a pretty comprehensive understanding of poisons, which she used in many of her novels Mm. and stories to follow. It's pretty awesome. I kind of love that. 
Now, do you think she got her interest in poison before or after the divorce? Well, she didn't kill him. She, she Maybe he like, it's like, I think she's going to poison me. I better, <laughs> better divorce her. We'll talk more about the divorce in a little bit. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into that. But no, <laughs> yeah. no. She, yeah. He, he escaped unscathed. So, yeah. yes. Uh, in 1930, Agatha married an archaeologist named Max Malawan. She would spend a portion of each year on digs in the Middle East. So here is Max. Hmm. And she's older in this picture, and mm-hmm. so is he. But I couldn't find a younger picture of the two of them. But So that was just two years after she divorced Archibald. I, I love the fact that he's got that pipe hanging out of his mouth. I think it's kind of great. Yeah, I'm sure he's like one of the inspirations for Indiana Jones. He kind of looks... Very possibly. uh, Apparently, he was a very well-known and renowned Mm -hmm. archaeologist, very successful archaeologist. So, This would lead to her use of the knowledge that she gained from his profession in her novels and stories. So she kind of gathered things that Mm -hmm. she learned through life to put into her crime novels. In total, she has written 66 detective novels and 14 short story collections. So quite a bit. She was a writer. That's a lot. I mean, even just having written near 20 of these episodes that are only, you know, pages Mm -hmm. long, I couldn't imagine writing 66 novels. It's insane. Well, it's over a lifetime. Well, sure. But still, I mean, that's that's pretty good, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So Agatha Christie had many achievements in her life. Before she passed away in 1976, at the age of 85, her book, And There Were None, is one of the top-selling books of all time, with nearly 100 million copies sold. She had written a stage play, The Mousetrap, which currently holds the world record for the longest initial run starting in 1952 and had sadly closed down in March of 2020 due to the pandemic. It was running right up until See, to me, if it opens back when the pandemic is finally forgotten about, it counts. It It doesn't count as... (laughs) Yeah, I don't... Like, it just gets added on to her record. I don't see why you would be like... Well, it, it had know. been shut down in 2020, and honestly, when I searched for it, I didn't see where... I'm sure it'll be back. It had reopened, so I, I would think they would. If yeah. it was successful and it lasted that yeah. long, why would you not? Yeah. You know? I like that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so she's wildly successful, and yeah. her success grew as she wrote more. Yeah. That's how it works for normal, successful people. And in 1952... She was the first recipient of the Mystery Writers of America's Grand Master Award, which is a mouthful. (laughs) Mm. And she also received an Edgar Award for Best Play later that year. She has been accepted by the intelligentsia. Mm -hmm. Good for her. Yeah, fancy. She's now in the club. She's in the club. Uh, In addition, she has over 30 feature films based on her work. So to say that Agatha Christie was an accomplished and interesting woman is an understatement. I agree completely. Fantastically successful. But what if I told you that in December of 1926, she was at the center of her very own mystery? Hmm. Hmm. At around 9.30 p.m., 
On Friday, December 3rd, 1926, Agatha walked up the stairs of her home, kissed her sleeping daughter, Rosalind, who was seven. She descended back down the stairs, got into her car, and disappeared into that chilly December evening. And when she, how old was she then? In 1928 is when she divorced Archibald. She was 30 at around that time. So she was in her early 30s, maybe. But then she reappeared somewhere else and married another guy and had another life, writing books. Oh, we'll get to that. I never said she died. I said she was at the center of a mystery. Yeah, so she walked out of her old life. So, yeah, she, she went upstairs, kissed her daughter, walked down the stairs, got in her car, and disappeared. Mm-hmm. You mean left? Yeah, left. We don't know. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get into that. She got in her car and drove away. That's called leaving. <laughs> she bailed. And she never came back. She bailed. I didn't say she never came back. <laughs> okay. Oh, man, this is quite a mystery. I know. The mystery is how much can I confuse you? <laughs> I'm waiting. Okay. Upon realizing that his wife was missing the next day, Archie reported her missing. The search for her began immediately. Being such a famous writer at this point, there were over a thousand police put on the case and many civilians as well that were willing to volunteer their time to find the famous writer. How do you know it was because she was famous? Because she was at that point. What if police were just like, they actually did their job back then and they looked for people even if so, they, like, whenever anyone went missing, a thousand people would go looking for them. I don't think that you don't is think the so? case now. Yeah. I mean, that would be fabulous if it were, but, I mean, I couldn't imagine how expensive that would be. It's not expensive. They're all on salary. They got nothing else to do because the crime rate's, like, zero. Well, and so they all go looking for someone. According to this, there were a lot of volunteers, too. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and yeah, I think that makes in, sense. I think in a lot of missing people cases where they suspect that they might be able to find someone in their you probably searches get a lot more volunteers. you get a lot of volunteers yeah. i think in general communities are more than willing to help a family find a missing person so usually yeah and especially because she was famous yeah so, that helps yeah it, it doesn't name hurt. recognition does not hurt they even used airplanes in this search And it is said that this was the first time that airplanes were used in any such kind of search for a person. In what year? 1926. (laughs) That's bullshit. That's what I've I've been told. Uh Uh-huh. Well, anyway, that's a little embellishment to the story to, like, add weight to how important this search was for everyone. I mean, she's a, she's a fiction writer. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. so it's going to get so weirder a, than fiction. Yeah, maybe there's a little fiction in this maybe story. Maybe so. <laughs> maybe more than a little. <laughs> it is also said that famous crime writers got involved in the manhunt, one such author being Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Authorities had hoped that because of their specific knowledge of crimes and mysteries, they would be able to look at the case in ways no one else could. Okay. <laughs> they did not think that. The authorities do not think that. In 1926 Never. in England? No, they were not dumb. You don't think They, they weren't dumb back then. They're not dumb now. <laughs> they don't think stupid <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> That'd be like me going like, we have this really hard engineering problem to solve. We should, we should um, 
we need help from everyone. We're going to crowdfund it. And then all of a sudden, all these people that play scientists on TV <laughs> and engineers on TV, mm-hmm. they're like, we're going to help you with this one. And then there's me going, boy, gee, I hope they really are good at helping me. <laughs> they probably will be. Because they're going to look because, at it differently than me. Because they're going to look at it differently than me. Gee whiz. <laughs> like people that make up stories are going to be good at helping solve real mysteries. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think so. Sorry. I just, that one got Did me. Did you enjoy pooping yeah. on that one? <laughs> I don't disagree, but I do think that maybe, you know, being who she was, knew some of these people and yeah, they just volunteered sure. to come help. Well, you know. more eyes is always better, no matter how untrained they are. Right. But going, boy, if we get all these people, they're going to help us in this specific way. Yeah. That's not, That's no, not the train no, of thought. No. Okay. Gotcha. You know, crowdsourcing works. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I had some some hatred phlegm left in my throat. <laughs> it's really gross. It's so nasty. It's just, the, you know, crowdsourcing is a real thing. I mean, you, yeah. if you, you can get some benefit from having way many, many, many people look at something, then... Sometimes they can outperform a small group of experts. A yeah. lot of times they can. Well, and, and what are the yeah. odds that the author of Sherlock Holmes was on the scene? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he came. He had his magnifying glass and his pipe. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes or the author? The author. Yeah. Well, he, that's not Sherlock Sher- Holmes. Well, he was playing Sherlock Holmes is what I'm saying. <laughs> publicity stunt kind of stench yeah. coming out of this whole story i think he brought watson with him <laughs> <laughs> all right well just you know and watson was like the one who actually knew how to do shit i, I don't know he was kind of like the actual like crime guy like he knew mm. he was science he knew the science he knew how to do investigation he was the one that did all the grunt work right but you know sherlock was the he would find the one insight that no one would ever see. Yes. He would see things like, that no one this else would. Is what did, yeah. Right. He saw the plot twist. Yes. That's why the stories are exciting. Right. Because that never happens in real life. Right. And we all like to think that he was tall and good looking as well. So that Some helps. of us may think that. I know. Well, I just look at things differently than you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have insight <laughs> into handsome men. Within the first day or two, the police came across Agatha's car, uh, and there's a picture of her car. It was okay. found in a town called Guildford, about an hour southeast along a roadside. The car was mostly off a steep embankment and had no obvious signs of being in an accident other than being abandoned in such a haphazard way in a rather offbeat location. Here's another picture of police posing mm-hmm. with the car. They're like, oh. Smiling. We found Agatha's car. It's just a car. Yeah. She it's, probably ran out of gas. I mean, it, it looks that way. And this car is not like, I mean, this is like a tall, black, kind of no doors on the sides. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know what kind of car that is, to be honest. Very old-fashioned. It's got, like, the spare tire mounted mm. to the side of it. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a, You crank it to start it. It's got actual lanterns for... Yeah. Oh, it does have the it, crank on the front. As it's running lights. It does right. have light, electric lights on it as well. But it's like a transition between the model 
T and, you know, the more modern ones in like right. the 30s. Right. But there's like five what look like maybe officers or searchers posed next to this vehicle off the side of the road. And they all have sticks in their hands for some reason. And they're they're like all kind of smiling. I, I don't I don't really understand what this yeah. picture is about. Um, the car is pulled off to the side of the road, but it's not a steep embankment. Um, like everything I read said it was. I put that in there because that's it's steep. But once it's I a little steep. once I saw the pictures though, I was like, that's not a steep embankment. Like that's mm. not when I when I think steep embankment, you know, in Ohio where there's roads cut through like hillsides and they're really steep. I was yeah. thinking like something super steep. This is decently steep. It doesn't look that steep, but if you were driving up it, you would think this is fairly steep. I, I guess. I I guess to me, what I see here, it looks more like a berm between two highways, like that kind of a hill, which I guess if you went down into it's that or up a, over it, it would be. It's just a hill. Okay. A gravelly road hill. It just didn't seem as as. Yeah, it's not severe. It's not remarkable in any way. As I thought it other was Other than that look. she just pulled over. Yeah. Yeah, it just looks like the car's pulled over. She probably ran out of gas. And, you know, you wonder, like, maybe she didn't drive that much. Maybe she was, like, she knew how to drive. But Are you saying that Agatha was a bad driver? No, what I'm saying is she (laughs) ran out of gas. Yeah, or maybe she she just didn't even check the gas before she left. Well, I would think that the officers would have checked that to see if it you know, if it were empty. Depends what kind of story this is we're talking about here. <laughs> well, you just said they're not dumb. I get this feeling. Yeah, well, the writers who are writing the story, they will mold and make them look in certain ways to help fit their narrative. Sure. Which is always the case. So I have a technical car question because I don't know that I've ever really thought about a car with a crank on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has to have gas still. But you just crank it to ignite ignite it? How does that work? Well, you have to turn the engine to get it to start. It has to be turning. So this is like instead of a key, there's a crank. Instead of a starter motor that turns the engine for you, that's hooked to the battery in your car, that churns over the engine okay. at a slow speed until it starts, you do it with your hands. You turn the okay. engine over with a crank. Yep. So it's basically an outside key. I guess, yeah. <laughs> sort of. If you want to redu- reduce it all the way down. It probably yes. still had keys in them. <clears throat> so they have electric ignition and stuff. You wouldn't want someone to steal it. Right. Okay. That's what I'm saying. So they would like extend out. You'd pull it and it would slide out. And then you would be cranking it. Oh and gosh. and it's like it's like your lawnmower. Like usually you don't have to spin it and spin it and spin Too it. Too much. If it's pulls. tuned well and it works right, yeah. it's literally barely even a full pull and it starts like a right. good engine that's what those would be like too if they were properly maintained yeah. and i would so, assume yeah. that hers would be but most you know that's why they're famous for the cranking and cranking and cranking <laughs> and cranking because right. it only takes one person with one that doesn't work right and then to everyone's watching them crank and crank and crank, <laughs> yeah. crank and they're like geez sure yeah who would want one of those I mean, I think in the wintertime, that would be kind of miserable. It would suck. But yeah. yeah. And the fact, They're harder that, to start in the the winter fact too. that the sides of this car have no like material oh, on yeah. them at all. Like it's open air. There's like a windshield in front. It's basically like an Amish this buggy. This is a motorized carriage more yeah. than a yeah. car. Yeah. It's an yeah. Amish buggy with wheels yeah. and a crank. No horse. So as the day of the search came and went, 
and the news of the famous author's disappearance spread, the press went wild. I can just feel the the lust for adventure all over this. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Um, so I just, I just put up a, a news article that I found here, uh, for Mr. Lockwood mm. and I'll post all these as you guys know on Facebook. Yeah. There's, there's people like digging through fields, like a whole line of people poking around in fields and they all have sticks. Like, I don't <laughs> why do they all have sticks? Well, you got to walk through, poke? you know, rough terrain and stuff. You You'd rather it's, poke, it's poke good to it have a stick you in your hand. It? Okay. Like if you, let's say you're walking around here in a, a field, you know, and you step in a groundhog hole. Mm. If you have a stick, yeah. you'll just naturally like fall on it and go, oh, oh, that sucks. If you don't have a stick, you might break your ankle. I like that you're thinking about holes. I'm thinking about like stepping on a body. Like, no, I, I don't think. That, do you want to poke the body just walking before around you in step fields. on it? Oh, okay. And plus everyone had sticks all the time back then. Right. It seems like it was pretty common. The walking yeah. stick, right? I guess. The cane. I mean, but every single person has a stock. I mean, every single person's wearing a suit. That's true. And a hat. These are very dapper searchers. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Anyway, there's there's a news article. I would definitely want to buy that newspaper if I saw it. I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is too. neat. This mm-hmm. is out of the ordinary. Tabloidy. Yeah. And it is and the it's Daily, a Daily Mail. Mail, too. <laughs> and there's an ad at the very top. Hose sauce. <laughs> didn't even see that what is it good as gold hose sauce here let me make it bigger you want to read yeah. this for us can you even read it uh, i can't it's too fuzzy good as gold no praise as high for here and then it's i it's very hard to figure out what hose sauce is something today at the bottom i, I suppose you eat it <laughs> you would eat it that <laughs> ad would get you because you love hot sauce so <laughs> i love hose too so it's like double whammy. And mysteries. <laughs> mysteries. You would have bought this I would paper so quick. How much does it say? How much it is? Or, or do uh, they only do that in the States, I think? Doesn't have a price on it. No. All right. So speculating about the circumstances and inventing insane stories to correlate with the few details that were known. So that's what the press was doing. And then here's another article about... Uh, how they sent dogs out to search for Agatha. The only thing that, see, I'm cheating a little bit because you gave me the entire, her overview of her, like, history. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know why they can't find her on that little island? Because mm. she's on a much bigger island across a very <laughs> large pond. We don't know yet. She left. She went to the States. <laughs> she's like, I'm tired of this boring British. I've done all this. I need adventure. I, I We'll get there. Okay. I promise. That's my that's my narrative that I'm Yeah. that I'm weaving right now. Yeah, this is this is while she was with her first husband, so there was much speculation in the days that followed the discovery of her car. It was the perfect mystery that seemed as though it could have been pulled directly out of one of her very own novels. Again, this is just editorialization. <laughs> editorialization. Some speculated that because of the nearby creek that she'd perhaps intentionally drowned herself. (laughs) However, because there was no body found, that seemed unlikely. (laughs) You were loving that. We suspect suicide, but 
Because we found no bodies, we cannot say it is suicide. Right. And thank how- you for that logical connection of events. I'm just and making like fun she of was, the writing. So she was driving. Let's say the car broke down. She gets out. <laughs> she kicks the tire. She's like, God damn it. She was just so mad. She just jumped She's like, and threw herself in the river. She's like, That's fucking it. I'm done. <laughs> and it's not even a river. It's like a creek. It's yeah. like six inches of water. Yeah. She just jumped in. She's like, This is just too much. Screw it. My day is ruined. Can't take this I'm, anymore. I'm over it. Right. I don't think that that's a very <laughs> likely scenario, but you know. Um. So, Arthur Conan Doyle, who had a strong belief in the supernatural and occult, tried to get answers by taking one of Agatha's gloves to a psychic medium. You mean this guy who writes Sherlock Holmes, yeah. the expert at solving mysteries? Yeah. This is how he solves the mystery. He took one of her gloves. Mm-hmm. And he laid it on the table. And he had somebody. Just remember when you see read. See if they can find her. Sometimes meeting your heroes isn't always a good thing. Right, and this is like. Are you sad right now? Well, he's not my hero or anything. But it's like this is my, an example of this is the nutbag that wrote like really <laughs> very popular, you know, mystery novels. Mm-hmm. And he wants to take it to a psychic. Yes. Like Sherlock Holmes, I I don't he probably had some, you know, book with a psychic involved, but we all know that Sherlock Holmes would have like trapped and shat upon said psychic. Right? <laughs> like Sherlock Holmes definitely would yeah. have been Yeah. You see. Yeah. People solve you know? this with knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you got the guy who writes a book doing kooky shit. Right. <laughs> yeah um so unfortunately his attempt provided no answers really no Aww. no no the psychic couldn't tell him anything maybe he's you know he can't be that dumb he wrote those books so he's probably just it's advertising again yeah advertising well how much attention or maybe they you know? were somewhat close and he was desperately trying anything to find his friend <laughs> I mean, why don't you like that answer? <laughs> because it's not where this is going. Oh, okay. He already knows what happened to her. <laughs> you think, if they're friends. You think Sir Arthur Conan Doyle like after? No. Oh. If they're friends, he oh. knows she's on. He's he. Oh. If they were really friends, you think they were in the sewing circle together on yeah, the phone, and she yeah, was telling well, him about like yeah, and she's what like, you that? know, I'm married to this really boring guy, and I love adventure, and I'm just stuck here. Yeah. Raising children and living with this traditional man who's probably a decent guy. I don't, you know, but he's just not intellectual, probably. <laughs> you don't know that. I do. Oh. <laughs> it's the odds are very high of that. I looked like, at his picture. This puss, th- this woman, based on her success, she would have been very much above average, way above average intelligence, right? I mean, I would think so. So just by sheer odds. Yeah. She would probably want to be with someone that was of above average intelligence so that she could have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. This is making me think about right? our relationship. She left the <laughs> she left the probably decent man who was a successful, you know, a, a plane pilot and probably had a job and all that. I'm sure he was middle class. Yeah. So he was probably not poor. And she went and married an archeo- a famous archaeologist. And spent all her time in Egypt digging shit up and writing books about it. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like a fun So life. why do you think she left this other guy? I'm thinking it's the adventure story. Maybe. And yeah. any of her friends would have known well in advance that she was unhappy. 
Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But you didn't mention that Conan Doyle was actually her friend. He may not have been. No, He was no. just, you know, getting some of his own press. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was just in on it. He wanted to be in the yeah. spotlight. Maybe that's a good point, too. I didn't think about that. He just slid on in. And oh, yeah. Like, hey, it's me. <laughs> you all remember me, right? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Like, I'm sure at some point, I don't know, maybe back then they had enough decency to not just go... Hey, and my latest book is being printed right now. Make sure you buy it. I'm going to help solve yeah. this mystery. You know how you can help yeah. find Agatha Christie? <laughs> yeah. By buying Find one of my book. books. That's what we do now. Yeah. But like back then, you know, especially the English, they probably had a little enough tact to like, you know, me doing this implies buy my books. I don't have to yeah. go, hey, everyone, buy my books. Yeah. Buy me some books. This is how a hunt for a missing person turns into an yeah. infomercial. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. I don't know. I, I just, really hope that wasn't the case. Yeah. But, it, I mean, you never That's know. That's what I think is happening. Yeah. So, Agatha's newest book was doing very well. And she had a child at home. And there was seemingly no reason for her to have left. The only glint of trouble for Agatha was that her husband, Archie, was known to have had mistresses. Okay. As the second week of the search for the famous novelist began, the news of her disappearance had become known around the world. The search, however, finally ended on December 14th, 11 days after she was reported missing. She was found alive. But you already knew In that. New York City. She was located in a hotel in the town of Harrogate, about four hours north of where her car was found. The hotel was called the Swan Hydro. Oh, nice. And here's a That's picture a cool of it. Place. And this hotel was one of the most swanky of I'll its bet time. It was. And was beautifully decorated and elegant. I can tell. I, I know that you already have feelings about this, about why she might have been at this hotel. Sounds like you have some feelings about oh, this. I got feelings. A rendezvous. I got feelings about this. I got some <clears throat> feels happening. During one of the hotel's evening dinners with Dancing to Follow, a banjo player happened to notice that one of the attendees looked just like the missing writer and notified the police who alerted her husband, Archie. He drove the five hours to the hotel, where indeed he found his wife, enjoying all of the finest amenities that the hotel had to offer. She seemed to be healthy and unharmed, but was also in no immediate rush to leave. She even left Archie in the lobby to wait while she changed into her evening attire. <laughs> I like it. I, I like that she's just like, oh... It's you. Okay. <laughs> if this happened to someone I knew personally, I would be raptured. This would be like, oh, my God, this kind of stuff never happens. Right. How could so-and-so do that well, or whatever? You know, yeah. just it, it would be good gossip. Yeah, it would because, like, I think personally the whole car being left and then found oh, and she's yeah. still missing yeah. for a week and yeah. a half is like, what? Yeah. You know? I, I would Maybe be Maybe she like, just went on a binge. If it were somebody I knew, I'd be like, oh my God, what happened to this Maybe person? Maybe she's a drinker and she just went on a binge. Yeah, who knows? All right. Got a big fat advance check for her book and <laughs> sayonara, <laughs> suckers. Peace out. 
So once uh, Archie got her home, the police began questioning her. She told them that she did not remember anything. (laughs) (laughs) The authorities began the somewhat odd task of piecing together what had happened to Agatha for the past 11 days. So she was hammered, and she forgot the whole thing. She went on a bender. (laughs) I mean, that explains how you'd run out of gas in the middle of nowhere. It's possible. Because you're hammered and you don't care. possibly lightweight. We can make it. Lightweight wreck your car off the road. We'll make it to the gas station. Blah, 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 blah. Or you stopped it for you stopped your car for some reason couldn't and get then it to start. like forgot that you had to crank it yeah, to start get it. it. To start. I right. don't know. But she cranked it to start it to leave home. It wasn't like her husband was cranking it for her and said, "Okay, bye, happy disappearance." You know. <laughs> I mean, the most common reason people can't remember things is because they don't. Want they to. were hammered, or they don't want to. <laughs> nope, that's not my brain anymore. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> so uh, let me get into the timeline timeline that the authorities came up with was this. December 3rd, she leaves her home and drives towards London. Along the way, she has an accident with a car. (laughs) She then catches a train to Harrogate. When she arrives in the rather luxurious town, she checks into the Swan Hydro Hotel with nearly no luggage, which I think is kind of odd. The weirdest thing is that the name she uses to check in is that of Teresa Neely. That just so happens to be the name of her husband's mistress. Mm. Yeah, so bum, bum, punishment. Bum. Does seem a little suspicious, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. She attends dinners, balls, and really didn't draw much attention just joining in alongside the other guests. Agatha Christie was never able to elaborate on her 11 missing days and in turn never spoke of it basically for the rest (laughs) of her life. (laughs) So she definitely just got hammered and did this for 11 days. I mean, she obviously knew Archie had a girlfriend and she knew her name and she used her name. A very angry binge that Mm -hmm. eventually turned into fun but was, you know... I have forgotten both because of the effects of the drugs and also because of the embarrassment level. I, I mean, (laughs) you know, if this were one of my friends, I would definitely be like, "Oh, honey." This is like Agatha Christie's (laughs) version of The Hangover, too. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Very British version. Yeah. Yeah. There are multiple theories. We'll get into that in a second. I have multiple theories, and then I have my own personal feelings about this, which may be the same as yours, but um, everybody needs to decide for themselves what they think happened. But I do love, for the rest of her life, she was like, no, no, don't remember a thing. (laughs) That's my favorite part. So she didn't get back into writing immediately, but eventually jumped back into creating new books. Shortly after she returned home and recovered, she divorced Archie. Recovered from what? Uh, we're we're going to get into that. An epic hangover? No, we're going to get into oh, that. okay. From the whole episode. After she recovered, she divorced Archie. Okay. Apparently not willing to tolerate his not-so-secret affairs with other women. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Now you're caught up to why she divorced okay. him. Okay. Yeah. I guess that was a little different <clears throat> than my initial Yeah, I went, ra- I went roundy round with it. Yeah. yeah I gotta, I Just gotta, like a mystery. Yeah, I got to twist it up for you. Yeah. Or you'll know what's going to happen immediately. Oh. Yeah. 
<laughs> I like to try to confuse you. Good work. <laughs> yeah. You did. Yay. Sort of. I hope everybody wasn't confused, but. So what exactly happened to Agatha Christie? According to Archie, it seemed as though she had suffered from amnesia about the entire incident. He believed that it had stemmed from a bump on the head during the car accident. (laughs) A biographer named Mr. Norman said that he believes that she may have been in a fugue state. Now, the definition of which is, in case, you know, I feel like we all have kind of a vague grasp of what a fugue state is, but uh, the definition, according to Wikipedia, is the disorder is a rare psychiatric abnormality characterized by reversible amnesia or one's own personal identity, including the memories, personality, and other identifying characteristics of individuality. This state can last days, months, or longer. Dissociative fugue usually involves unplanned travel or wandering and is sometimes accompanied by the establishment of a new identity. Oh, wow. You really came up with an explanation for that. Good job, Mr. Norman. Mr. Norman continues to theorize that Agatha's fugue state may have been caused by trauma or depression. Or scotch. (laughs) Both. (laughs) I mean, you can use that to treat depression. It can also put you in a fugue state. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, if you drink half a bottle. The word fugue is actually sort of Scottish sounding, isn't it? It is. I wonder (laughs) what (laughs) island it came from or what part of the island it came from. You do have a good point. The fact that she took on a new identity using another woman's name and did not recognize herself in tabloids and news articles were indicators that she was being affected by psychogenetic amnesia. What? Yeah. Is that a thing? Psychogenetic? Yeah. Also another term for alcoholism. Oh. (laughs) In my opinion. Psychogenetic amnesia. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. He goes on to say that he believed she may have been suicidal and that she was in a very low place at the time of the incident. What? She was not suicidal. She went to the fanciest hotel yeah. in the whole island I feel and like had a good old time. There's a lot of speculation going on. Yeah. Uh, As stated before, she did go on to have a happy second marriage to Max, the archaeologist, and live a long good life. So it was pretty, pretty interesting two weeks in her life where she just fell off the map and was doing whatever and claims to not remember it. She just went rogue. She got she finally got sick of it. She said, you know, I'm pissed off about this. It's about noon. She has a couple of drinks. Well, I feel a little better. And I still hate that son of a bitch. She grabs the bottle, goes upstairs, kisses her kid, goes back downstairs, get in the car, takes off. All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to get into theories. Finishes so. the bottle on the way up, runs out of gas, gets on a train. I mean, just hold, oh, on, hold on to that. Because I like this we're story. Gonna get there. This is even better. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you like it. So now I'm going to give you a couple of theories, all right? Okay. Could this have been a publicity stunt to promote her new book? 
There was a lot of chatter that Agatha's disappearance was nothing more than a clever ruse to gain attention for her new book, putting her name all over the world at the time. I kind of like the idea of this, especially because she basically just said, oh, I don't remember, and that was it. Uh, If she were going to disappear to get noticed and didn't want to explain herself, I would totally fake amnesia as well. (laughs) I mean, did she have a habit of spectacle at all throughout her life? You know, it really doesn't seem like it. It seems like this is the one instance. Well, I would say you could rule that out then. You think? Yep. Yeah, because at this point, she was pretty well known, and I don't think she would have had to do any kind of publicity. People who loved her books would buy a new book from her. My guess is this was the, see how much power I have. If you don't give me a divorce, I can really make you look bad, really bad. Right, because like you said, I kind of feel like she was the one with the wealth in this relationship to Archie. I'm sure she had way more than him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I I don't think she would have needed to do it because she was so... You know, she was pretty popular well, at the time. There are plenty of very popular people that they have a spec, they have a history of spectacle, you know, and that's their thing. Yeah, but I, I just don't Richard think Richard Branson did. loves a spectacle. <laughs> you know, yes. he's very good at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not the only reason he's successful. He's successful, but he loves himself. Right. Some spectacle. He, he knows when to make yeah. the spectacle work for him. Yeah. Yes. You, yeah. I mean, and that's that's a so. If he did something like that, you'd be like, oh, well, no one would even, they'd be like, that's just normal Richard Branson. Probably when he was younger, I suppose, but, you know. Right. Yeah, no, I don't think that she, that everybody was like, oh, that's just Aggie. There goes Aggie again, you know. So my guess is it's not that because she doesn't do it often. So uh, the next theory is that it was actual amnesia. Could she have just been leaving the house to run an errand or visit a friend or even just go for a drive when she had an accident and lost her memory. So I have doubts about this for several (laughs) reasons. One, who runs an errand that late at night? Two, why would she have had changes of clothing with her unless she purchased them somewhere along the way, which indicates she must have had money and some form of id on her she could do that but she wouldn't be able to buy right. good clothes and three if she were going just for a drive you know maybe she was upset and she just thought i'm just gonna go for a drive like whatever why would she drive more than an hour away from home if i were in an upset driving state i would not drive an hour from That's my not that home far. i'd probably drive in like a three-block radius around my home in circles until I felt better and then well, come back. you don't get upset for very long. No, and I don't leave in my car when I'm upset. I go to another room, and I shut the door. I, yeah, I, you know? So those are my, my like, well, if, if she were going to just go somewhere in the car that evening for not a runaway purpose, I just don't know what, what, what that reason would be. To the liquor know? store. That's where she was going. <laughs> and she got lost uh-huh. along the way. Yeah. And just said, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. I don't even want to go to the liquor store. I'm going to somewhere. Going not to, here. I'm going to the fanciest and fucking you know town I can find. The train has booze, too. <laughs> yeah. 
screw this car. I don't want to have to drive drunk. I'm yeah. Get on this train. Well, back then it was, yeah. this is the 20s. Like, that was not yeah. even a thought in anyone's mind ever, driving drunk. No, they just did it. It was just, it just it was, was happening. Yeah. Sure. And the cars weren't as fast and the road, you know, it was just, sure. there was all these right. confounding things. And it seemed to me like she lived kind of in the countryside. It wasn't like, you know, the road that she, yeah. her car was found on was you not. You don't drive 50 miles an yeah. hour on that road. No, it was, it was more like fields and stuff. It wasn't a lot of houses or anything. And I would be surprised if the motorized carriage probably topped out at about 40 or 45 <laughs> miles an hour and would be yeah. like pretty exciting to drive that fast in that thing well you know now that you say that i mean you could say worst case she was going 35 there's no way she's going slower than that 35 is not very fast if she was sad driving she may have been going really slow we don't know so seven almost eight hours at the very worst case okay i mean i just i did not happen to take into account you know we've got way higher at 45 miles an hour it's only six hours on the dot barely takes any longer oh weird Hmm. that seems strange okay i have one last uh theory for you you ready Uh uh-huh was she in fact in a fugue state (laughs) i agree with this stemming from her cheating husband and their turmoil (laughs) yes (laughs) of all the theories I like this one the best. <laughs> Me too. Maybe she had recently found out about the mistress, and with that being fresh in her mind, was temporarily sent into a distressing mental break. Mm. It explains the name she gave. Or maybe she was just like, fuck you, Archie. You can go have a good time when you want with who you want. I will, too. I would say that is it. Uh-huh. That's pretty obvious. And with that, she went on a little adventure of her own, just despite her husband, checked in under his mistress's name, and had a great time. I think that sends the message quite well, mm-hmm. does it not? And had a great time as a little revenge. And again, the best part of this scenario is that she was like, oh, I'm sorry. I have no recollection of any of that at all. That's what I would do. <laughs> so see, I was with you the whole time. Mm-hmm. You're missing the one part, the very, very important part of the story. Fuck you, Archie. Yeah. I don't need you. Yeah. To have a good time. And now I'm going to go have a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Waiter, bring me another scotch. <laughs> I'm in a fugue state. Take this 10-pound note. <laughs> Keep the change, because I'm fucking rich. And my name is Teresa, in case you wondered. And you know, back then, there were plenty of women with power and some money and stuff, but not completely common. Yeah. So you know how fun that would be? To be like a rich, pissed off, drunk, no one can stop you. Listen. Where's your husband, ma'am? How about you take some of this fucking money, shove it up your ass, and get the fuck out of here. Like, that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like she could have just done what she wanted it's to do. fuck you money. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> right. fuck you money. Right. She had it. She did. Um, now, we're, we're, not, we're not actually saying that Agatha Christie had a drinking she problem. She was drunk this whole trip, I guarantee I would, you. I would say that if this were me, I would definitely have been like this last scenario. Well, I would have. Yeah. And then, then whenever he came and found me, 
And I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, I had my fun. I, I would be like, oh, I don't remember anything. <laughs> like, I, I just, would play that show. Actually, off if too. she wasn't a drinker, drinker, yeah, this would, the amnesia would be even more likely. Yeah. If she really went on a drinking binge, like a real binge. Or, you yeah. Know, yeah. Or went and had, had a good fucking time. This would time. have been like well beyond her normal amount of alcohol intake, like just right yeah. off the bat. She would have a lot more amnesia. Well, yeah, because yeah. her tolerance would be like zero. Yeah, and the hangover. Oh, oh, I can imagine. Yep. See, she had to recover. Oh, yeah. It took, it took weeks. A week. <laughs> I'll bet. I've had hangovers like that. Like, could you imagine having a, like the worst migraine you ever had? And it was just like three days, oh, man. four days. Yeah. She's like, I can't even, I literally can't pick up my pen. No Gatorade. <laughs> You know, no, no electrolytes. No electrolytes. Basically, no vitamins. The hair of the dog is the only yep. way she was getting out of mm-hmm. this. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I I like the scenario. I think that you know, I think that she was probably a a really good person, and I think that she was doing really good things in her life and had her family. And she found this out, and she maybe just snapped. I would for say a this episode is perfectly reasonable. I, I think so too. Justified one hundred percent. Okay, so I was going to ask you, what the hell happened? She's awesome. <laughs> you know, that's what happened. Turns out we should all love Agatha Christie just a little <laughs> bit more now. Don't fuck with the Agatha. Mm-mm. Yeah, I have mad respect for this woman. Yeah. She did a lot of really awesome things, in the fact. That she was just like, peace out for two weeks. I, I kind of love yeah, it. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I really, really love it. So <laughs> when I found that story, I thought it might be a nice kind of vintage literary mystery <laughs> that we could This is into. like the original Thelma and Louise. <laughs> Except she just was Thelma, Thelma. And, and Louise. <laughs> it was Agatha and Teresa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that she used the mistress's name sends a message to me that it was just a jab. I guess you have to bring it up. But yeah, it's I feel o- like completely it completely obvious. I feel like it was just yeah, a stick. it's very obvious. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't be any more obvious. Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, you know what? They probably wouldn't let her write fuck, whatever his name is. What was his name? Fuck you, Archie. Yeah, fuck Archie Christie. <laughs> right. So she had to use his mistress's name. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we agree. You you kept trying to get there prematurely. What's your name, ma'am? <laughs> Bollocks. <laughs> fuck my husband i'm fucking agatha christie now give me a room i'm gonna dance <laughs> oh i love it i love it so much okay good i'm so glad you enjoyed that one all right well i do have another shorter uh kind of mystery for you oh. our next little story is going to be was the night before christmas mystery i am going to need the joyful mr lockwood <laughs> to read us all a very classic poem oh no yeah uh, and then we will discuss when i said earlier you're trying to be less monotone. i'm trying to be less monotone <laughs> so this is indeed this is it okay we're gonna we're gonna it sounds the same just i want you to know i'm trying we're going to hear the full range of your, yeah. uh, of your diversity of your voice here. <laughs> well, everyone should enjoy this because I don't know that a lot of people have heard it in its entirety. So it's Christmas. It's torture. You love this it. It's torture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, skip ahead a couple of minutes if you don't want to hear this. Just saying. <laughs> okay. I would like to do that. No, you Can don't, I do that right no, now? You do not have the option. <laughs> 
"'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled, all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads, and Mama, in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just saddled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out of the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. The moon on the beast of the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below, when what to my wandering eyes did appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment he must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer, and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all, as leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop, the coursers they flew, with the sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur, from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old self, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk, and laying his finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod up the chimney he rose, he sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Good job. You only fucked up a couple times. I could probably read it a few more times and get better. Nah, it's all right. I think think once for everyone's enough. I know once is enough for me. Yeah. (laughs) You are such a scrooge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lockwood, for reading Who wrote that? that? It's so funny that you say that because that is indeed our mystery today. No one knows who wrote that. I am willing to bet that 90% of all humans that celebrate Christmas have heard this poem at least once. I remember being forced to read it in grade school, and I think I still hate it because of you that. You were forced to read it? You were, Well, when you're in school... You forcibly had it read to you? No, everything that you do, you get forced to do, oh. right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes, I was. we were made to read it. You were made to listen to it being read remember. to you. I can't remember. No, we had to read it. Oh. That's a really weird It's probably like, like a punishment. group participation, like oh. everyone has to read a sentence or something like that. Oh. I don't remember. So this happened to you one time and you're still scarred? Probably. Oh, my so God. It's not that good of a poem. Well, there are a lot of people that would differ with you. 
I mean, technically, yes, of course, it's classic. Did you know that the actual author of this very famous and classic poem is still somewhat of a mystery? Did you know this author was paid by Sears and Roebuck to make this bad <laughs> commercial poem? Wow. <laughs> In 1897. Thank you for making your feelings known. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Just because there's one aspect about popular culture version of Christmas that I like disagree with doesn't mean that I hate Christmas. How do you just disagree with a whole poem? (laughs) Easy. I don't like it that much. (laughs) Okay. Well, you'll enjoy the story then. Okay. Okay. So the poem's actual name is A Visit from St. Nicholas. It was originally published in the Troy Sentinel of New York in 1823. It is not known who submitted the poem, but it ended up being published two days before Christmas and required a whole column of print. It's a pretty long poem. Mm Mm-hmm. At first, it was thought that someone at the newspaper had submitted it anonymously, but no proof of this was ever attained. The poem was so loved that it was printed year after year for about seven years after its initial printing, at which point it ceased to be released again. Over 20 years later, in 1844, a New York publisher released a book by a man named Clement Clark Moore. His book was full of his poetry, including a familiar little poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas. Here's Clement Clark Moore. Okay. He would look like Senate, he would look like uh, Tarkin from Star Wars. <laughs> he like, kind of would. He kind of does look like him. Yeah. Lord Tarkin. Yeah. He will fucking nuke you. Do not fuck with him. <laughs> That's right. And you know what? I would imagine Lord Tarkin writes pretty bad poetry, too. You think? He would never tell anyone, but he probably does. I'm going to tell you some more about this guy. <laughs> uh, in the foreword of the book, it states that the poems were a compilation of things that he had written during his lifetime. Well, I guess we can close the book on this case because it's solved, right? It's Clement Clark Moore. It seems so, except for the fact that there is no proof that Moore submitted the poem. He was known to be a rather humorless and serious fellow. This poem, in particular, seemed out of place when compared to his other works. Historians have suggested that Moore saw the published poem and did not claim it because he considered it one of his lesser works, and it was below him and not worthy of belonging to a professor. See, he agrees with me. (laughs) It's possible. (laughs) I mean, why would you want to claim it? But if if you were... If it's famous, you do. But if you were ashamed of it, why would you send it to be published? And that is kind of where the mystery lies. Although most people attributed the work to Moore... He had zero interest in being identified as its author and remained that way for the rest of his life. Shortly before he died in July of 1862, the New York Historical Society conducted an interview with Mr. Moore. However, in a strange turn of events, the interview did not get published until some 47 years later until 1919. Anticlimactically, 
the article contained no additional information. So the interview was or so good, it got shelved for forty years. Right, and it also did not have any information, or he did not even say, "Oh, yeah." Okay. I mean, jig is up. It was me. Like he didn't even confess. Did you to find it. the article? No. No. Mm-mm. You don't do a lot of work on these stories. <laughs> You can go Scrooge yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So if Moore was so intent on not wanting to be identified as the author of our now classic little poem, then why would he put it in his book of life works? And who sent it to the newspaper? This question may have an answer that isn't so mysterious. In 1922, a year before the poem was published, A gentleman by the name of Reverend Dr. David Butler was visiting the home of Mr. Moore. With him at the time, he had his daughter, Harriet. It is believed by some that Harriet, having heard the poem being recited one evening, copied it down and loved it so much that she submitted it to the Sentinel. If you think I'm a pompous asshole now, wait until I get my doctorate and I become a reverend. I can't wait for that. I don't think I could tolerate myself. No. I don't think you're pompous. But I do think if you did that, you would. (laughs) By definition, aren't you pompous if you're a reverend doctor? Yeah. I mean, that would definitely drive me to go on a (laughs) two-week disappearance. (laughs) For sure. Moore never confirmed giving the girl a personal copy of the poem, which means that she must have overheard it or jotted it down. In addition, Moore also thought that Harriet could have gotten the poem another way. It is possible that one of Moore's own daughters could have given a copy of the poem to Harriet because she had shown such an interest in it. Another odd happenstance is that is the fact that the original manuscript is not in possession of the Moore family. The grandson of Clement Moore stated that he is of the opinion that his grandfather did write the poem, but that it was only written for the holiday enjoyment of his family. It was never meant to end up as quite arguably the most famous Christmas poem in modern history. Seems very reasonable. Sure. But wait. There's more. There could be proof of another author. Would you like to know more? According to the family of Major Henry Livingston Jr., the reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas was a private family tradition which started around 1807. His children and even his neighbors had claimed that there was a written copy that even had notes and fixes in the margins. Okay. Henry Livingston was of Dutch ancestry, and his mother was from the Netherlands. There is a lot of references in the poem that point to, specifically, Holland. My theory, starting now, is that they both wrote it simultaneously. And it's based upon... You think they knew each other? No. This is very common in scientific discoveries where people discover the exact same thing and come up with very nearly identical solutions. And it's only because the work is based off of something from the old country. Translated to English sounds like this. Okay. That's my guess. Okay. So you think it was just some weird coincidence 
that they wrote two poems that sounded very, very similar. I would say very, very similar. And then you add in 100 years of time, mixing it up. And they're like, oh, well, he wrote that one and that one. And he wrote this one. Yeah. And they're, they both merge together to be the same poem by everyone. The natural process of copying and reciting That's and copying. I do like that there are two different families That's that my guess. claim to have claim on this. But the one family is like, yes, definitely. We've seen the paper. The neighbors have seen the paper. Yeah. We've seen the notes on the paper. And the other family is like, well, we never saw the paper and he never even wanted to claim it. You yeah. know what I mean? So it is odd. So, I mean, the line of reasoning that you get stuck on is that, well, one or the other, someone had to come up with it originally. Right. You know, but your the version I just read, I guarantee you, is way different than the very first version that anyone came up with. Well, and it's probably way different than what was published over and over and over. And if some paper was publishing it for 20 years straight, I'll bet you on your 20, it's a lot different than the first one. I think that would be interesting to look at. You know, at. so... Yeah. If you took two roots that are very similar and they just sort of co-evolve, they eventually kind of just merge and become one thing through history. I, I like the idea of that. However, I feel like having listened to you and read it before you read it, I, I do think that there are a lot of things in there that if somebody wanted to make it more modern, they definitely could because there are words in there that we don't commonly use anymore. That wouldn't make sense to some it's, young person. It's not exactly making it sound modern. It, what it is is it's when you draw some picture, if you redraw it over and over, it kind of converges onto a, an ideal, your idea of, oh, that's finished. That's the best version of it. Okay. That'd be like saying, well, you didn't use orange marker. You only used blue. Right. You know what I mean? And you'd yeah. be like, well, yeah, but blue's good enough. I don't need orange. I don't need orange. I got blue. You know? I'm just about to get okay. into kind of along the lines of what you're saying. Um, it was said that the original, the, in the original submitted copy of the poem, two of the reindeer's names were changed to Donner and Blitzen mm. because they were thought to be errors in the original text. They were originally written as Dunder and Blixum, <laughs> which... I was gonna- which are Dutch words for thunder and lightning. Okay. So yeah. I'd say that's pretty interesting yeah, proof. Sure. You know, um, the original handwritten proof of the Livingston family's claims, unfortunately, went up in flames, quite literally when their home burnt down and the contents were lost. Well, and it's like if these people are both writing poets, they're poets. I'm sure they both didn't think of this as like great poetry. What they're thinking of is like a family it's the tradition. holidays. Yeah. We got sixty three kids in here. And grandkids. And I have something I can read that they would yeah. actually like as opposed to the it kind of shit them, I write. It will make them on normal sit still days. on the floor for yeah, twenty and it'll minutes. It'll be fine. Right. And it's like, okay, well, you don't know that it's just throwaway garbage to you. Like it's for fun. Clearly. Why would you like, oh, I need to save this for posterity? Right. You know, so right. of course it's going to get lost. But I really think that at some point, somebody liked it so much, thought it was such a cute little little thing. Yeah, it escaped, it caught they, on. Yeah, they they were like, you know what, I'm just going to like bootleg grab this and send it out. Well, you know, what if people memorized it 
and then they told sure. their friends. I mean, after how, hearing it for years, you would. Yeah, imagine you're you're one of the kids in this family. You're ten years old. You hear it every year. It evolves a little bit, but you memorize it. And then you're fifteen, sixteen. You're going to your your girlfriend's, you know, family for Christmas. Christmas, and you want to impress everyone. Yeah. So what else would you do? Tell them about your Tell tradition. Tell them twas the home. night before Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, you make it your own because you're no. you're trying to impress people. You don't oh. you don't pretend you it don't was, say I wrote you it. Don't pretend it was written by your like what? Your super dad? smart grandfather that was a poet and like a scholar. <laughs> I don't think you could just you be just like, go. Hey, I, I wrote, wrote this. I don't know. If you came to me with this poem and told me you wrote it, I would look at you like cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, "You're so full of shit." Yeah, but if I did it in front of everyone and it was something that was novel and they never heard before and it's just impossible for that thing to happen now yeah. in modern times. Yeah. It was way easier to do shit like that back then. You know? Everyone's bored and starving for anything. Right. Any so, kind of entertainment. Yeah. So write, something new. Write me a poem. Something new that's halfway decent is like such gold. Yeah. When you, I mean, it's like, it's like when you find a great television show now. Absolutely. Like it's gold. It doesn't happen Even an okay often. television show is like yeah. gold. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Finally, there was a study conducted. The study looked at both possible authors and their lives. What they concluded was it was not possible for Clement Clark Moore to have written the poem. Claiming that the style and references to Holland pointed at Livingston being the better match. Okay. And that, my friends, is the mysterious history of one of our most beloved Christmas poems. Some of ours most beloved yep. Christmas poems. It is up to you to determine who you think wrote it. Me? To anyone. <laughs> so, what did you think of that? Was it's it interesting. Was it that painful? I thought you would think it was interesting, but I never knew that there was a debate. You know, we like on the paper, like you had mentioned while, after you were reading it, there's uh, Clement Clark Moore's name is on there yeah. as the author. So I didn't know that there was any kind of debate about who this author might be. Um, so I thought it was really interesting. And I do like the mixed up reindeer names. I, I think that's yeah. interesting. It's probably the one that is the oldest yeah. wrote it or started it. Right. And you maybe know? it got handed down a couple of generations, made its way to Clark Moore's and they started telling it. And that's the thing. You know how they always say the world is small? It's like these are rich people. What's the likelihood that some granddaughter, great second, third cousin of one of the families would cross the paths of the other family? It's about 100%. Pretty good. Birthday paradox. Yeah. Though it doesn't involve birthdays. It involves visits. So glad you came full circle on that. (laughs) So it probably did originate there. And then it was taken and always heard. And then modified. Right. I think it could have easily been written by Livingston just because it, it, you know, of of the references. Yeah, I agree if it's out of character with the other guy, you know. Yeah, the other guy was not said to be, like, silly or jolly or anything. Mm, He's very serious. Right. And I wonder, though, if, you know, it just got brought over. And that's the reason maybe the Moors don't have an actual physical document of it is because it was memorized and told at Christmas. And then somebody hit from his family yeah. 
let it could have crossed over well no i think livingston's family it got crossed over to moore's family and then from moore's family it got leaked to the paper yeah it could have or either any other way either way right right anyway so yeah i like it Uh, it was kind of neat i i I had no idea there was a debate it went viral it did yeah i had no idea you know (laughs) good enough to where people couldn't help but want to repeat it to others and thus it escaped yeah. from this guy's yeah. family or whatever. Well, I sincerely thank you and hope that because you read the poem that your heart may have grown three sizes today. Mm. Mm-hmm. Three sizes bigger. Which is probably not that big. Yeah, like 300% <laughs> of 1% is 300% bigger, but it's, <laughs> it's not still very really much bigger. Little and black. <laughs> Oh, I still love you. I love you too. Oh, no, you can't do that. Yeah. You know, no, no lovey dovey on the show. But it's That's Christmas. That's no good. It's Christmas. Mm. You just wait till I get you under that mistletoe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so one last thing that I am excited to share is that I recently acquired an enormous collection of vintage Fate magazines Ooh. on eBay. Um, And if you listen to any of these at all, you know that I really like weird old books and magazines and stuff like that. And these books came to me and I learned that they kind of have an interesting past. The owner of these uh, fate magazines was a very interesting woman. Um, And I just wanted to give a shout out to Robert who hooked me up and gave me some background details on who the previous owner was. So I can't wait to give you more details on this new collection of Strange Digests, and I cannot wait to share with you guys all of the weird little gems that we're going to extract from digging through these. Yes, thank you, Robert. Quite quite a a turn of serendipity. Yes. Mm. Um, My husband now sees me less (laughs) Mm -hmm. than he did before. Thanks a lot, Robert. (laughs) Appreciate it. Oh, he's happy about it. (laughs) Sad. Yeah, we um, have some interesting stuff coming for you guys in 2022. And like I said, just remember there won't be an episode next Monday. Uh, we're taking the week off between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, do you have anything else? Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Hope it's good. Yeah, we hope you have a good end of the year. Yeah. All things considered. <laughs> Being that you probably some of you haven't seen your family in like a long time just remember you're not allowed to kill them no <laughs> you think it makes it worse if you haven't seen them in like a year <laughs> and might, a half you might have forgotten like <laughs> yeah. oh man god these people are terrible <laughs> why do we do this <laughs> we shouldn't even do this once a year <laughs> all right with that we are going to time travel into the future and wait for you in 2022 how many weeks are we doing that how many weeks are we time traveling just two. Two. Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas, everyone. Are you ready? We're going to time travel. Three, two, two one. one. Do you have a story that's weird or fascinating? Would you like to have your story read at the end of an episode? If so, please send your story to wthh.podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing your stories.
If you'd like more episodes and bonus content, join Patreon to become a member. If you liked our episode, please remember to like, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.